preaching, though. Praise God. And now it's my turn. Praise the Lord. Um, we're going to ask you to remain standing for just a few moments. Um, normally, on the first Sunday of the year, we cast vision or at least do a visionary message uh, for the year. But um, about, I guess, 5.30 yesterday morning, the Lord woke me up and I was, well, I was already awake, but the Lord began to speak to me before the sun came up. And as I was praying, the Lord said, simply the title I'm going to use, First Things First. And before we go to the vision, we got to take care of first things first. So yesterday morning, the Lord interrupted me with what I'm about to uh, share with you today. And uh, this will be my last time to speak to you uh, and minister to you before uh, our consecration week that's coming up. So uh, if you don't know about that, you will by the time I get through with this service. So I'm going to preach to you old school today. Now, if you don't know what that is, you'll learn fast enough. I'm going to preach to you how I used to preach and how I prefer to preach. So turn in your Bibles with me, if you will, to 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse number 16. And then we'll find our second reading today in 2 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 5. How many people remember this old style of preaching? Amen. It's called systematic theology, expository preaching. We're going to take a scripture and we're going to expand it today. Some call it teaching. But if you holler a little bit, they call it treaching. Amen. So we're going to try to do some of the, those today. But I, I do have a word from the Lord for you today. 1 Timothy chapter number 4 in verse 16 simply says, Take heed unto thyself. Are you there? There you go. Take heed unto thyself. Take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine. Continue in them. For in doing so, thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. Paul told Timothy, take heed unto thyself and to the doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing so, thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. And then Paul's letter to the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, his second letter, excuse me, chapter 13 and verse number 5. It says this, and we know this, we, we will be uh, having consecration week coming up on the 19th, consecration Sunday, communion Sunday. We'll be uh, receiving communion together. Uh, we'll talk about that a little bit more, but on the 19th. And this scripture is almost always read during that time. And it simply says, examine yourself. Everybody say that with me. Examine yourself. Whether you be in the faith, prove your own self. One place it says, make proof of your own ministry. Know ye not your own selves, how that Jesus Christ is in you. He said, don't you understand that? And if you don't, you're a reprobate. Examine yourself, whether you be in the faith. Prove your own self. Know ye not your own self, how that Jesus Christ is in you. Do you know if he's in you? And I want to talk to you today on this subject entitled, First Things First. Let's go to the Lord together. Can you lay your Bibles down, lift your hands up? Let's open our hearts to God right now. I, I, me speaking to you will not do, me preaching will not do any good if you don't open your heart. Dear Heavenly Father, whatever you have for me, would you just pray that whatever you have for me right now? Let the preaching of the word, God, come forth. And so it touches my heart, 
touches my life and changes my life, God. It corrects me, directs me, leads me, guides me, protects me. Whatever you have, come on, let your heart out to God. I pray for an anointing of the hearer in this house today. And I pray for an anointing to fall on me as your word is already anointed. Yesterday morning, long before the sun came up, Lord, I felt your anointing rest upon me for this word. And God, I pray that you give me the ability, the anointing, God, the words, to, to speak the words of life and truth, God. I reject and rebuke my own understanding, and I, I offer my voice and my mind and my body to you right now that I might do your work, and I pray it in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Praise God. You may be seated. You may be seated. How many's ever been on an airplane? How many's afraid of flying? Got a couple. Amen. Uh, I, I fly a lot all over the country and uh, when I and all over the world as far as that goes. And and when I get into an aircraft, uh, whether it's a domestic flight or an international flight, I very briefly try to figure out whether I've been in that aircraft um, before. And as a matter of fact, I travel so much in the, around the world and those kind of things that that I intentionally sometimes like to look for a different style of aircraft. I had never ridden in the uh, 380, and it's the world's largest aircraft. And so the last time I was going over to Burma, I intentionally booked a flight that was on that aircraft because I wanted to, if I'm going to fly, I might as well see this new airplane. If I'm going to be in it for 27 hours all told, I'm, I, might as well, uh, I might as well see what it's like. And so I picked that particular aircraft. And when I first sat down on that aircraft, I, I looked at it and I acquainted myself with it. And you know what happens when you first get into an airplane. They, they start talking about the um, uh, safety features. How many people know what I'm talking about? And so uh, I, I, I listened this time. Because it was the first time I had flown on that aircraft, and I wanted to know the safety features. But the truth of the matter is, you can always tell a newbie on an airplane. Because uh, a newbie, when, when they, the voice comes on and says, in the event of an uh, unsafe landing, or whatever they say, or unscheduled un, un, uh, landing, that means a crash. And then and the, and the newbies, they grab the back of the seat, and they pull the literature out, and they start opening up and reading everything, you know. And, and, and the rest of us that's been flying around the world and been flying for a while, we just get comfortable and get our iPads out and we don't even pay attention. And, and, and they're telling you about something that, that's going to save your life. And, and yet we just kind of blow it off. Because I've been to church every Sunday for the last... See, I'm preaching already. We just kind of brush over it we just kind of say oh, i've heard that he he's just preaching again and and i i've been saved so long and da 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 but uh there's one part of that uh thing that um it, it, i want to uh, the the um introduction to that aircraft that i that i want to point our focus to and that is they said in the event that sudden there's a sudden loss of cabin pressure. How many people knows where I'm going with this? You know where scripture and verse I'm in right now. And what's going to happen? These masks are going to fall from the ceiling. How many people know that part? Amen. And so you start looking at the ceiling. And then they say this. And usually there's a little video there. Shows them falling down. And then they say this. If you are traveling with minor children, put your mask on first and then put it on the child. Because you can't save them unless you save yourself. 
This church talks about a lot about evangelism. Matter of fact, I preach conferences around the world. And and I've been asked to preach on more than one occasion the message called Others. I preach about reaching others. I preach about reaching the lost. And you've heard that if you've gone to church here in the last 30 years. You've heard that message over and over and over again. Reaching out and connecting Christ to our community. Those kind of things. But today, I don't want to talk about the minor child in the seat beside us. I want to talk about you saving you first. Because first things first. Before we go out to the world and reach for the lost, we had better make sure we are saved ourselves. We had better make sure that we have got it right. You better make sure you know where the exit is. Because this world is going to crash and burn. See, you're just listening. I've heard all of this before. I've heard this, this pep talk about, but I'm telling you, it's not in the, in the case of an unscheduled landing. This thing is going to have an unscheduled end someday, only scheduled by God, only he knows when. But he said, everything you see is going to melt with fervent heat. Everything that you see around you will be destroyed. And so before the destruction of this world comes, you'd better find the exit. You'd better find the way out. You'd better secure yourself and identify how you're going to save yourself from this crazy and foolish world. I'm not going to give the devil much pulpit time today or any, but uh, you don't have to look only until last Sunday's church service to see how crazy the world is. Somebody walks into a building and in six seconds kills two people. Thank God there was good guys with guns and stopped him or the carnage would have been like in South Texas in the San Antonio area where 26 were killed. Amen. But this world is nuts. This world is crazy. And if you're planning on sticking around here and staying here, then you better figure out how to save yourself from this world. I know you got loved ones. I know we got kids that we're worried about. I know we got grandkids that we're worried about. But you'd better put the oxygen mask of salvation on your own face first before you reach for somebody else. If you are not secure in your situation, then the first thing you need to do today is save yourself from this crazy world and save yourself from hell. How do I save myself? Well, we read it in our text, and, and I'm going to refer back to Paul's letter to Timothy, but first I want to go to that second letter to the Corinthians where they were receiving communion together, the Lord's Supper, fellowship in the household, and he admonished them to examine their self. He admonished them. He said, examine yourself. He said, the reason I want you to examine yourself is so if you see if there's anything in you that shouldn't be there. The reason we do self-examination is to check and see if we're okay. And he said, and because you don't do these self-examination, he said that there are some things that happen to you. Number one, the thing that happens to you, you get sick. And number two, he said some even die. Because if you don't look at yourself introspectively, if you don't say, what's going on with me? Why am I acting the way I'm acting? Or or, or, I've been doing this for so long, am I just acting? Is there any fruit to what I'm doing? 
But somebody would say, no, no, I, I look the part. I, I, I got the suit on today. I know how to stand. I know how to say amen. I know how to raise my hands. I, I look the part. I, I look like an apostolic. I look like a saved person. I look like a Pentecostal. I, I look like a church person. But I'm telling you, God did not invent mirrors. But mirrors have been around for almost six, over 6,000 years. Some of the earliest mirrors were found around 4,000 B.C. Now, this is 2020. So 6,000 years ago, they found some of the first mirrors that have ever been found. You see, God did not invent mirrors. God never intended for you to examine yourself in a mirror. But that's how we like to examine ourselves. So this human nature takes a, 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 a piece of volcanic glass, a, a, a very unusual piece of stone, and they begin in the very first ones were polished stones, and they would polish them so slick that, that if you held it in front of you, you could see a reflection, and you could see your reflection. Others would take a pool of water in a dark bowl in a, and only have one candle lit and then look into the, the slick finish of that water and see their reflection. But only a slight wind, a little tremor, and the water will begin to distort the view of what you're seeing. Paul said it like this. He said, we look in a glass and we behold ourselves darkly. He said, we look in that glass, that looking glass that we look at ourselves. We behold ourselves darkly in, in darkness. And, and, and we really don't see a true image of ourselves. They move from that, uh, that stone that they would polish and they begin to polish brass. And they polished it so high and some other metals so highly that they could see a reflection. But the problem with brass is it's easily bent. And the mirror makers soon found out how that they could concave or convex the surface of the brass to make someone look larger or smaller. So if you're making a mirror for your wife or the king, you make it where he looks slimmer. You can distort the view. And so... For thousands of years, no one trusted mirrors because the reflection could be easily tampered with. No one trusted the image because is that really me or is that something I want to see in me? Psychologists and sociologists tell us that when you behold yourself in a mirror, you are comparing yourself to the best version of you. For most of you, it's between the years of 18 to 24 years old. Many of our egotistical selves, men, will say, I'm not back at my playing weight. Well, buddy, even if you got back at your playing weight, you'd look a little weird. Because you got gray hair. You know, you've seen that 55-year-old guy who thinks he's 18. What a freak. Excuse me, cut that from the live stream if you want. That, it just looks weird. Nothing wrong with being in shape, none of those kind of things. I'm in shape, I just pick round for my shape. 
Yeah, some of you know what I'm talking about. Some of you can identify with this word here that I got today. Amen. But, but they never trusted the mirrors because the mirror can give you a distorted view. Paul said it, when you behold yourself, you behold yourself darkly. You don't see a, a real clear image of you. You don't see how you really are. And he said, and then when we walk away from that mirror, we soon forget what we saw. So today... I left the mirror on the, on, on the desk. I don't need it, but I was going to hold it up at this time. It, it was only about 200 years ago that they refined mirror making where they took a thin sheet of silver, put it behind a piece of glass and framed it very tightly and very firmly that they could get a true image or the closest possible image of you that there is. Somebody said, well, that's me in that mirror. No, it's not. It's an image of you that can be distorted. You let one little speck be in that silver. And it can make a, a round space or a, a, a dimple in your skin where there is not one. But you see, God never intended for us to view ourselves on the outside. But he said, you had better examine yourself. And if you don't examine yourself, he said, some of you are going to get sick. Some of you are going to die. And I'm not talking about this spiritual sickness. And, and I'm not talking about physical death. But I mean, excuse me, physical sickness and physical death. But also spiritual sickness and spiritual death. He said, you had better take a good look at yourself. And the thing that you need to compare yourself to is not the image that you think you are. But the doctrine in the word of God. How do I line up? With the word of God. The Bible said he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. How many people believe that? If you do you need to say amen. But he that believeth not. Uh, he, he that is, uh, believeth not is not baptized shall be damned. So how are you lining up on baptism today? Have you been baptized? I'm not looking at you, and I'm not comparing you to me. And, and, and see, here's the problem with mirrors. We look at ourselves on the outside, and we go, man, uh, uh, I, need, I need a little something extra. I'll, I'll put a different pair of glasses on, or I'll put a, a tie on, or I'll put ornaments on, or a nice suit on, because I want people to think I'm something I'm not. Where the truth of the matter is, you know what you look like when you step out of the shower. You know what you look like. You look at yourself and you compare yourself to somebody else. Well, and that's where fashion takes hold. That's where everything that you see takes hold because of the outward appearance, we change the inward value. And, and, and the Lord never intended on that. As a matter of fact, just the opposite. He intended on you to be introspective, to look inside of yourself, not outside of yourself, and to say, how, how, why do I do the things that I do? What am I shooting for when I put this on? What, what, why, why am I saying what I say? Why, where do I live where, when, I, when I do this kind of stuff? Why, why do I act a certain way? And he said, if you don't examine yourself, then you run the risk of being lost and struggling for out your life. So he says in that text to Paul, uh, Paul wrote to Timothy chapter 4 of the first letter, he says you need to take heed and you need to fight against it. If you would put that up for me right now, 1 Timothy 4 verse 1, and I'm going to expand this scripture for you. 
He said, now the Spirit speaks expressly, plainly. The Holy Ghost is telling us that in latter times, some shall depart from the faith. A pastor said that, no. An organization said that, no. The Holy Spirit speaks expressly that in the latter days, the last days, some shall depart from the faith. Men are going to depart. They're going to look at something and, and, and see things and, and look on the outside and not look on the inside, and they're going to depart from the faith. We are living one day closer to the kingdom of the Lord than we were yesterday. I don't have to take the time to tell you that these are the last days. And I would even say perhaps they are the last moments. He said they will, the Spirit speaks expressly that they will depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits. Now that word there, seducing, is an old English word. It means a wandering spirit. I wonder what's over the next hill. I wonder if uh, I, I could have got a better wife. I wonder if I could have got Yeah, don't even think about it. You hear it? She said, we don't believe in divorce in our family, just murder. <laughs> That's what she told me first got married. I made the biggest mistake of my life. I, taught, I bought her a gun, taught her to shoot right after we got married 36 years ago. Amen. Wow, what a mistake. No, I'm picking Give, give heed in the last days to wandering spirits, a spirit that makes you wonder. Wonder what it's like over here. Wonder what it's like. I wonder what it's like to live in that house. I wonder what it's like to be somebody else. I wonder, I wonder what it's like. And you begin to compare yourself to yourself, to, um, excuse me, others, instead of compare yourself to the Word of God. You begin to look outside. These seducing spirits get you looking outward instead of looking inward. When you ought to be throwing the mirror away on the outside and saying, I wonder how I look compared to the Word of God. I wonder if I pray as much as I used to pray. I wonder if I read the Bible as much as I used to read the Bible. I wonder, oh, come on. I wonder if I use my gifts and talents for the Lord as much. Well, yes, I do. Yes, I think. Show me your fruit. No, I want you to see my image. We go to conferences and we put on our nice suits and we walk around and we look like this. And somebody walks up and they go, hey, how's your church? We go, great, man. Lying, lying, lying. Come to church, you put your plastic smile on, your church clothes on, you're about to get a divorce. Comparing yourself to other people. Comparing your, your, your place in life to other people. Well, I thought I'd be further along in life. I thought I'd be this or that. You're, you're looking on the outside when you ought to throw all of that junk away and say, hey, how is my relationship with God? I'm talking about first things first. Put the mask on yourself before you try to save someone else. Uh, put, you need to look at you. You need to look at you and not compare you to someone else, but you to the Word of God. I want us to stop right now. Danielle, before you leave, let's pray. Her husband, or excuse me, her father is dying of cancer. Probably has a week. I'm not prophesying that. But he has never been baptized in Jesus' name. He goes to another church in town, and she's leaving right now. 
and she's going to that baptism. Can we ask that the Lord would fill him with the Holy Ghost? His name is Cliff Hampton right now. In the name of Jesus, Lord, he is completing your word today. It's been a struggle. He's been fighting cancer for years. He's at the end of his journey. In the name of Jesus, let the Holy Spirit of God fill him when he comes out of that water. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We're so excited for you, Danielle. Go in the peace of the Lord and tell uh, uh, the pastor there that I said hello. You see, these seducing spirits will cause you to wander. The word there, seducing, means a wandering spirit. A spirit that wants you to look uh, 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 over, a look out, doesn't want you to look in. It's roving. It's misleading. It's leading to error. Well, if I do this and I'll do that, I'll never forget, Brother Joe, it's good to see you. Brother Joe came in my office about 25 years ago. I guess, how long have you worked there, Joe? You don't even know, you're so old. What, 20 years? That's what I thought, about 25 years. Well, I'm guessing too, so I'm, I'm older than you are, amen. He came into my office one day and he said, I'm going to quit my profession. I'm going to stop what I'm doing. And, and, and Brother Joe uh, came in because one of his kids came back from school and said, your daddy's a garbage man. And I told Brother Joe, I said, you're not a garbage man. You're an environmental engineer. And you're one of the most faithful men in my church. And, and, and you pay your tithes and you're, you're in the house of the Lord. And I said, that guy that owns that company, how many trucks does he own? And he told me. I said, how, many, how much is he worth? He has millions. I said, where did he start? He said, on the back of a truck. I said, you just stay there. You just stay faithful. You just keep doing what you're doing. Now he's got a business card and an office, and he's the boss. Amen. After all these years, it makes a lot more money than most people that would walk through the doors of this church. Why? Because he didn't let a roving spirit get a hold of him. He didn't let a wandering spirit get a hold of him. He didn't let a seducing spirit that get a hold of him and say, how does that guy drive that car and I drive this? Quit looking at that guy and quit looking in the mirror and quit and start looking in yourself and say, am I doing everything I'm supposed to be doing for Jesus Christ? We're blaming your life on someone else. You live in the world that you make for yourself. You cannot control what happens to you or your children. But you can control how you respond to that. Whether you get a seducing spirit that causes you to lose the faith. When something happens bad in your life. Well, I just give up and walk away. You never were in it then. It must be hard. That's what this is about. It is a struggle. It is an absolute struggle that does not depend on how you feel. And it does not depend on your emotions. And if you let that happen to you, you would never have defeated that cancer that you went through. And you would have never defeated that. Are there days you feel down? Yes. Are there days you don't feel like going on? Yes. Uh, but faithfulness says whether I feel it or I don't, uh, I'm going to keep pressing on. Seducing spirits. They're misleading spirits. They'll lead you into error. Well, somebody's got a little brighter light, a little more smoke, uh, a little more this, or they promise if I do this, then that'll happen. A seducing spirit. The Bible, that word means a vagabond, someone who is homeless. Uh, another, Paul said, an imposter. They look like something they are not. 
corrupt, a deceiver that leads to false doctrine. He said in the last days men shall not adhere to and they won't love sound doctrine anymore. They won't love discipline. They won't love teaching. They won't love faithfulness. They won't love and they'll go to any little wind that blows. He said seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Now that sounds hideous. Doctrines of devils. It's not talking about some red-suited, short-horned, pitchfork-toting devil from hell. It's talking about men of God that stand in pulpits and wear suits like I wear and will teach you all kinds of dumb junk. Y'all still want me to keep preaching? I'm telling you what God gave me yesterday morning. They tell you stuff that ain't in the book. Like forbidding to marry. We're going to get to that in the next scripture. This is how dumb it can get. Forbidding to marry. Don't eat this. Don't eat that. We eat only this on Fridays. We don't eat that. He said, seducing spirits. He said, these men will teach you the doctrines of devils. What does that mean? It means little deities. A God that is powerful, but not the all-powerful God. It will look like a form of godliness, but it will... This is what we do on Wednesday night, in case you don't know. If you don't come on Wednesday night, this is what we do. We teach the word of the Lord so that you understand when it says seducing spirits, what that means. And doctrines of devils, you don't get some Halloween image in your mind. When it's doctrines of devils, it's preachers in the bright lights preaching a lesser gospel. I'm just going to say it plain, and I know this is going out there. If you've never been baptized, you are not saved. I don't care how many goosebumps you got or how many you felt, none of that junk. Because the Bible said if you believe and you are baptized, then you are saved. You shall be saved. If you don't get baptized, then you're not saved. So you ought to look at yourself and not compare yourself to TCC, the Temple Christian Center, the UPC, the United Pentecostal Church, uh, me, me, me. Don't compare yourself to anybody else, but look at the Word of God and say, does it say I need to be baptized? And if i got to be baptized, how am I supposed to be baptized? And if I'm not baptized, then when am I going to get baptized? And I pray that i got enough grace to find my way to the water. And if you're going to get baptized, there's only one biblical way anybody was ever baptized, and that's in the name of Jesus Christ. He said these will speak lies in hypocrisy. I love what I heard the other day in one of the uh, political debates, and I don't want you to figure it out. If you know who it is, fine. If you don't, that's fine. It's not the point. But one person was throwing stones at another person, and that person looked back at them, and they said, why are you putting out purity tests that you can't pass yourself? You see, that's the mirror business. Well, if they did this or they did that, then I'd do this and I'd do that. Why are you comparing yourself to somebody else? Why are you putting false purity tests? You're, you, forget everybody else. You've got to get you to heaven. Well, I'm trying to get my kids to heaven. I'm trying to get my wife to heaven. I'm trying to get my husband to heaven. You can't get your wife to heaven. You can't get your husband to heaven till you get yourself to heaven. Put the mask on you first. This is not your wife's fault. It's not your husband's fault. It's not somebody else's fault. This is you. When you wake up, first things first, look into you. Don't say if my wife prayed more, or if she didn't do this, or he didn't do that. Don't say that. Say, God, it's me looking at me. Speaking lies in hypocrisy. They pretend to be something they're not. When you get that mirror out there, I'm, I'm as guilty as the next person. 
Brother Scott came to my house one time. And, 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 and we had crawfish. His son came in. And we cooked crawfish. And he snapped my picture and put it on Facebook. I deleted it immediately. I said, my God, you make me look like I weigh 250 pounds. You showed my bad side. I weigh 253 pounds. And if you look at me from straight on, I might get it down to about 225. But if I turn where that bubble is in a profile, how y'all out there? All my preacher friends are going to watch this tonight and laugh at me. I know what they do. I'll get a text tomorrow morning. <laughs> you see, we think we got a good side and a bad side. You don't have a good side. You still ain't got this. Well, I put this on so I look good. I got catch my good side. I put a little makeup on. I put a little jewelry on. I put a little, I drive up in a certain kind of car. I live in a certain kind of house. All of that's the mirror business. You need to throw the mirror away and you need to look inside of yourself and you need to examine yourself and say, where am I at with God? Before we reach this city, before we connect Christ to our community, I'd better say, hey, preacher man, are you praying like you used to pray? Are you giving like you used to give? Are you using your talents for God like you used to do, comparing myself to myself? He said, they'll preach these doctrines of devil. He said, have their, some of them have their conscience seared with a hot iron. Conscience is your morality. He said, listen, I, I, I'll go too long. Forbidding to marry, commanding to abstain from each. Are we there? Put it up there quickly. Amen. Stay with me. I'm sorry if you're not there. Amen. I'm in two, then three. Amen. There we go. Amen. Forbidding to marry. We're going we're gonna to blow through this scripture. we got 16 verses, so stay with me. Amen. He said, forbidding to marry. Commanding to abstain from meat, which God hath created to receive with thanksgiving, that which believe and know the truth. For every creature God, uh, of God is good, and nothing is to be refused. If it has been received with thanksgiving, eat what you want to eat, as long as you give thanks for it when you do. You're still not giving this. See, eating's on the outside, but thanksgiving's on the inside. Boy, I don't know why we can't go to the steakhouse and we just got to go by McDonald's. Or I don't know why everybody else gets to go. All of that mirror business will mess you up. Uh, but if you got two beans in a pot, you better look down in there. And you better say, hey, I thank God for what I got. I thank God for what I have, not what I don't have. Don't look at it and compare it to somebody else. Be thankful for where you're at. He said, with thanksgiving, for it is sanctified by the word of God and prayer. If you speak the word uh, and you pray over it, bless God, eat it. Uh, he said, it doesn't. Well, see, here's where we get. On, uh, I'm going to do this. It's, it's a Wednesday night message on a Sunday morning. Ooh, this may get heavy. He said, it ain't what goes into the body that defiles it. He said, it's what comes out of the body that defiles it. See, you're fighting over how you ought to look and how you ought to, what you ought to wear and where you ought to go. And mm, Do you look like me? Do I look like you? Is my watch bigger than your watch? My car bigger than your car? My earrings dangle to the floor? Throw them over the shoulder and buy some more? One ain't enough, let's go to... Two ain't enough, let's put more diamonds. 
I'm not, I'm not, I'm just telling the mirror business. My house ain't big enough. Does it keep the rain off your head? Is it warm in the winter? Come on, somebody help me preach now. You need to quit looking around. Get out of the mirror business. And you need to start thanking God for yourself. You need to get looking introspectively. You need to say, what, what's going on in here? He said this. He said, if thou, he said uh, uh, where am I at? In prayer. But he said, the brother, put the brethren in remembrance. That's what I'm trying to do. Put the church in remembrance. Thou shalt be a good minister of Jesus Christ if you do. Nourish them up in the word and of faith and of good doctrine wherein thou hast attained. But refuse profane and old wide fables. Now let me go back up here. We talked about those seducing spirits. Let's talk about false doctrine. False doctrine can go in any direction. Mm. Lord have mercy. We're about to burn the roast. I just hit something in the Holy Ghost. I'm not kidding you. I'm, I've done this 30 years. On, uh, as of the, first of the first day of January, I've been the pastor of 30 years at Temple Christian Center, and I know what I know in the Holy Ghost. False doctrine, I'm going to preach to you right now, can go in any direction. You can believe the wrong baptism, or you can believe that you're saved by what's on the outside. You can preach it. He said they preach that you can't marry. They preach you can't eat this or that. He said, but others preach. Anything's okay. They're reprobates, having their conscience seared by a hot iron. They just swap wives like they do T-shirts. Still keep preaching in the pulpit, acting like ain't nothing wrong. People acting all out of the Word of God. You see, false doctrine can go in any direction. You can believe it so strong that you have your little closed community and you're passing out red Kool-Aid on Sunday morning. Some of you don't remember those, those old cults. and You can turn it into a cult. You can turn it into so loosey-goosey that nothing matters. But that ain't how we're supposed to compare ourselves. Well, look at me. We're more conservative than the church across town. Well, look at us. We're more progressive than the church across town. Well, look at the Pentecostals. We're better than the Baptists. Look at the Methodists. We're better than the Presbyterians. You see, that's the mirror business. we got to get out of the mirror business. He didn't invent the mirror. But he did say... For you to examine yourself. I got to look at the word of God. Sound doctrine. And say am I lining up to sound doctrine? Am I living a life holy? Acceptable? Am I keeping the big ten? That's the ten commandments for you that don't know them. Am I keeping the, the mission of the law of God? Those 600 plus other commandments. Sub-commandments. That he's, those that you're supposed to do and you're not supposed to do. Am I comparing to those? Oh, I'd like to tell you I got them all rubber stamped. Uh, I'd like to tell you I got all 600 of those whipped. Uh, but God's still working on me. And I got to look in at me and say, God, why do I need a change in me? Before I can preach to you, I got to look at me. I got to get me right. And I got to realize I don't want to speak a lie and hypocrisy. I don't want to preach to you something like you got to be perfect. That's what made me go to drugs when I was 15. In the old days, they used to preach in the Pentecostal church if you missed heaven by an inch, you're going to miss it by a mile. Well, that's the truth. But that's one hell of a doctrine. I got you. My wife's going to get mad. Think about it. You believe that doctrine, you're going to go to hell. Because that means you've got to be a 4.0. And you're never going to get it all right. No one but Jesus Christ was perfect. 
And so as a 14 or 15-year-old kid, I looked at the test and said, I'll never make heaven my home. So might as well have a fun time going to hell. Got on drugs, selling meth. Got like to kill myself, flipping cars and carrying on. Because, well, if you miss heaven by an inch, you might as well miss it by a night mile. But no one in those days preached it like we preach it now. He said, strive. Press towards the mark of the high calling uh, in Christ Jesus. Uh, try to get one step closer to Jesus uh, tomorrow uh, than you were today. Oh my God, help me preach. Uh, try to be one step closer to Jesus uh, than you are today. One step closer. Am I praying more, living more, giving more? And some days... You cannot go forward uh, because of life uh, and because of circumstance uh, and situation. He said, but when you've done all that you can do and you can't do no more and you can't go forward, uh, he said, just stand. And just stand uh, and see the salvation of the Lord. Uh, because what he's looking at uh, is your pressing. Uh, what he's looking at is your direction. Uh, what he's looking at is your pushing. Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, uh, with all thy mind, uh, with all thy strength. Uh, this is the first commandment. Pushing, pushing. False doctrine. He said, you can preach it too strong. You can preach it too weak. You know what? I can tell you how not to preach false doctrine. Just preach the word of God. If I step in this pulpit and preach to you anything that is not in this Bible, I am a liar. And the word of God is true. I got news for you. I've got to quit saying that. It didn't sound good on the video feed. I've, I listened to myself. I said about 15, 20 times a sermon. So I've got to stop that. I, my little hiccup there. Now you're all going to catch it every time I say it. Got to look at me compared to me. I've got to say, am I doing what I'm supposed to do? Am I keeping the word the way it's supposed to be kept? Am I living the life the way that I'm supposed to be living? Am I preaching it, living it the way it should be? He said they can teach it. Too strong. And then he gets into this thing of wives' tales. You wonder what that is? He said, don't, don't believe those wives' tales. I call that mama-ology. Let me give you some mama-ology. Moms, you might want to cover the minor children's ears because you've been lying to them, and I'm going to break it out to them that you are. Mama-ology says this. Cleanliness is next to cleanliness is next to godliness not in the bible google it it ain't there you know what that is that's a wives tale that's a fable that's preachers now we got on mama and i'm backing up because i got one on the front pew and i don't even look that way when i preach like this Now, that's just talking about, that's what you take the Word of God and you bring it home and say, Junior, you're going to go to hell if you don't clean your room. You wonder why your kids hate God. It does tell you to be obedient to your parents, but why don't you take the Word out and show them that it says to be obedient to your parents. 
And then apply that word to Junior, I want you to clean the room. I'm the authority in your life. And everybody's under authority. My bishop's coming Sunday. I'm under him. If I need a whipping, I want him to give it to me. If I need to be spiritually corrected, I want him to give it to me. That's what pastors are for. That's what husbands over houses are for. Junior, I'm your authority. Mom, over the children, I'm your authority. I said, go clean the room. Now, they can figure it out. And if they don't, break it down to them more clearly. Now, here's the deal. you got to know the word to teach the word. Put the mask on first. Save yourself. Save yourself. Save yourself. You, got, you can't teach something you don't know. And if you just start twisting that word around, then you'll be those old wives' tales that the Bible was talking about that just comes out any old way it works for me. I'll never forget the first time I saw it happen. Uh, this, I'm going where angels go to trade, but I'm going to say it because it applied so well. It was a pastor's wife. It was on Facebook years ago when Facebook first, I first got on Facebook about eight, ten years ago. And I saw her put a quote on. And it was a blended quote from the Word of God and from Zen. Somebody don't know Zen. Buddhism. Sounded great. What was the scariest thing is not that she posted it as though it were the Scripture but that it was shared by dozens and dozens and dozens of people in the church that her husband pastored. Didn't even catch that blending religion. People come into my office, I know the Bible says somewhere, I know it says in there somewhere, then show me where it says that. Don't come in the office and say, the Bible says somewhere. My God, there's a search engine called Google. It'll look up anything in the world, even the scriptures. Look it up. Study it. Show yourself a workman worthy of hire. Know the Word of God. Don't let any preacher stand in the pulpit and lie to you on Sunday. I don't care if it's in this church or any church. Hold them accountable to the Word of God. Not to your traditions. Not to the way you like it. Not to what you like. Who cares what you like? All that matters to to me uh, is heaven, my home, uh, and I want to go there. Oh, first things first. Connect Christ to our community. We better get connected first. False doctrine too strong, too traditions, superstitions. We make our traditions. I could preach on this or teach on this all night long. We can turn our traditions, and we have traditions. My wife and I have traditions. We, we dress in a very traditional sense. We take a very modest approach to life, but we don't use our modesty and our traditional dress to judge your salvation. I know that's online. I want it to be online. I want you to understand that my, I'm, not, I'm not holding a mirror up to me and saying, look like me. You want to be a little preacher man like me? You want to walk like me? You want to dress like me? You all got to drive a Chevy in this church. Everybody's got to have a Ford. Every... Mm. Talking about turning the word of God into traditions and superstitions. Well, I remember when... Hmm. Back in 54, when the serpent seed doctrine came out, 
split the church right over. That kind of sounds like that old serpent seed doctrine. 54. I wasn't even born to 63. Cut me a break. I don't have a clue what you're talking about. But so you get that mirror out and you compare your reality to other people's reality and that doesn't match up uh, that somehow or another you're messed up quit doing that get saved get in the word of god Uh, fall in love with the word of god be filled with the holy spirit and put the mask on yourself and then let's go save the world i'm closing he said this give yourself to the word Give yourself. He said, put the brother in remembrance in these things. He shall be good minister of Christ Jesus, nursed up in the words of wind. But refuse profane wives' uh, wives' fables and exercise thyself. Everybody say exercise. Everybody say exercise. Please hear me. He's writing this letter in the Macedonian area. I don't have time for this because it's not Wednesday night. You won't give me an hour and a half. Amen. But let me just tell you, that's where the Greek games were coming from. They exercised. They knew about, you know, the Olympics. That's where they started. He said, I'm going to start using some Olympic words so you'll understand. You understand exercise? Oh, yeah, we understand exercise. We understand what it takes to exercise. What do I do to exercise? Every day I get up and lift weights. Every day I get up and jog. Every day I get up and practice. Exercise, exercise, exercise. He said, aha, I'm going to use a word you understand then. You better take this doctrine and you better take this gospel. And if you want to be strong in faith, you'd better exercise it every single day. He said, he said, exercise. Good doctrine where thou hast obtained. Refuse wives to, for bodily, he said, rather, and exercise thyself rather unto godliness. Exercise yourself rather unto godliness. Now watch this scripture. Now a lot of fat preachers have used this scripture for another scoop of bluebell. But it ain't so. He said, are we there? For bodily exercise profiteth little. Now that, and then it says, but godliness is profitable unto all things. So preachers that want to be fat like me, preach against exercise. But the truth of the matter is, he says in the text, that exercise is good for you. But it does not work an eternal reward. Profiteth little. Some of you will spend 10 hours a week in a gym and not two hours a week on your knees or in the Word of God. If that's you, don't squirm and nobody will know I'm talking to you. We'll read a book, watch our favorite program, we'll do what we want to do. And we exercise all week long. It is amazing to me how hard it is for you to section off enough time to come to church out of your worldwide busy schedule for you to be here in the house of God. That just amazes me how you've got too much going on that you can't get here. Mm, see, y'all want me to just go on a vision, don't you? Let's just reach the loss. But we got to look in at ourselves first. Am I committing to this thing? Am I sold out? Am I giving to this thing? Is this what I am? This is what I am. If, this, if somebody walked in the back door of this church and shot down two members and there was blood all over this furniture from that, would I still believe in God? Would I still? 
The only way you're ever going to make sure is to lock yourself in to the Word of God and look at yourself and say, I'm not going to be shaken by cancer. I'm not going to be shaken by children that are in wrecks. I'm not going to be shaken by this and that. I will not be shaken. I will not. I will not. Is it fun? Is it easy? No. It's exercise. I put my clothes on and I walked to this pulpit to preach to you. I smiled at you in the foyer. I hugged your neck and I high-fived you when I saw you. But on the inside, I'm a mess. Are you hypocritical? No, I'm faithful. Because I'm just going to keep showing up. And do what I did before. I don't care what edict hell. And I don't care what edict the world. And I don't care what edict life passes towards my family. I don't care what history happens to me and mine. I got news for you. A long time ago, I sold out to Jesus Christ. I'm sold out to him. There ain't nothing you can do. There ain't nothing somebody else can do. There ain't a circumstance. I've been tested. I'm here today. I'm preaching under the anointing of the Holy Ghost. Why? Because I'm okay? No, I'm not okay. I'm just faithful. I'm just going to keep doing it. I'm just going to keep singing and slinging. I'm not going to let sickness. I'm not going to let. I've been there. I heard the doctor tell me, you got about a 25% chance of not being paralyzed. You're 75% chance of being paralyzed from the neck down. But God saw fit to bring me through that. But if he doesn't, and these skin worms destroy my flesh, yet will I serve him. And until you get you Closer to Jesus tomorrow than you were today. You will be blown around by every wind of doctrine. A job will mess you up. Somebody else will mess you up. A spouse will mess you up. But if you're rock solid in Christ Jesus and you're sold out to Him, the storms will come. The, oh, the lightning will flash. Hell will rage against you. But you just got to say, I'm going to keep on doing what I've always done. He said, you teach these things. He said, that bodily exercise you give yourself to, it's good for you, but it won't save you. You need to compare where you're spending your time. I challenge you. We do it at the first of every year, and I challenge you again. I challenge you for one week, for one week to keep a journal, for one week. 90% of you can't keep it for one day. I'm not rebuking you. I'm telling you the world we live in. Keep it for one week, where you go, what you do, how much time you spend doing what, how much with family, how much in front of a television. I'm not preaching against television. I'm preaching against how we use our time. I'm not preaching against it. I'm just saying we need to look at it and say, where am I spending my time? What am I doing? How am I doing it? Because we've got to save ourselves first. And if we save ourselves, then we're going to save others. Okay, I'm done i got to read these other verses and then we'll walk away. You're, you're finished. I know you checked out. Some of you have already checked out. I can feel it in the Holy Ghost. This is a faithful saying. It's worthy of all acceptation. And therefore, we both labor. We both labor. We both labor and suffer.
not afraid of labor. I've never been called a lazy man in my life. I hate the spirit of laziness. I'm not afraid of labor. But the terror of my nights came against me two months ago. And I have suffered beyond human comprehension. I've suffered the terrors of night. And then I go to the Word. Weeping may endure for the night, but if I can make it to the sunrise, joy's coming. Joy's coming, God. Joy's coming again. And I've seen glimpses on the horizon of joy. I've heard laughter in my wife's voice again. I saw a little hope. But suffering, suffering, when you make up your mind, you're going to suffer. I don't care what it takes. I'm going to go through this. I'm going to labor. If it causes suffering, I'm going to suffer. If people talk against me, they'll talk against me. I'm going to be who I'm going to be for Christ. I'm going to do what I'm going to do because we trust in the living God who is the Savior of all men, especially those that believe these things, command and teach. Let no one despise thy youth, he's telling Timothy, but be thou an example of the believers in the word and in conversation, in lifestyle and in charity and in spirit. Be an example in the word in your lifestyle, in your giving, in your attitude, in your faith, uh, and in your holiness. He said, do it until I come. Give an attendance to reading and exhortation and doctrine. He said, take heed unto yourself. To do what? To read the Word. To teach the Word. uh, And to keep the Word. Read the Word. Teach the Word. And keep the Word. Neglect not the gift that is in you. Every single one of you have gifts. Every single one of you were born unique and special. You'll sell it to your boss for so much per hour. You're good at what you do. Because God made you good at what you do. How are you doing at giving that to God? What have you, how have you used your gift set for God lately? Look in here. I'm not judging you. I don't even know some of your names. I love you. I want to get to know all of you. If I had enough time, I'd go to dinner and lunch with every one of you, about every one of you over my house. I'd spend hours with you to get to know your children's names. But there's thresholds to what my wife and I can do. We're trying to save as many as we can. But sooner or later, you've got to save yourself. Meditate on these things. Everybody say, think on these things. Don't neglect the gift that's in you. Let it be stirred up. That means you go to the leaders of the church and you think, you know what? I'd like to be used in this area. Could you pray with me about it? The Lord will confirm that to the leaders of the church, the overseers of the church. And if they are confirmed, then they will lay hands on you and you will be ordained to do that work of the Lord. If you've not come to that place in your life, you need to come to that place where you think, this is my thing. What's your thing, sir? What is it that you're doing for God right now? That's what you need to ask yourself tomorrow if God tarries. Ma'am, what is it that you're doing for God right now? I, I know you got to go to work. I, I know you got stuff to do. But 
stop all that. Sit down in a room. Journal your life out for the next week. See where you go. See where you really spend your time. That's what we need to do at the first of this year. We need to look in before we look out. We need to save ourselves first before we try to save others. We need to get ourselves right before we try to preach to somebody else. So have I got to be perfect to minister? Absolutely not. You just got to know you're not perfect to minister. Did you hear me? Well, if I get perfect, then I'll be a minister. Then I can come back to church. When I quit smoking, then I'll start working for the Lord. When I quit this or quit that, and I want, why don't we pick on smokers? Why don't we pick on eaters? Number of the cause of death in America today is obesity, not cigarettes. But when I quit, when I start, then I got news for you. If you've got a vice, we got a place to put you. If you're messing with some pornography or junk, I can guarantee you it ain't going to be with the children's ministry. Probably be mowing the yard. You, you're dipping around doing this and dipping around doing that. You got a dippity do and a dippity do. We got a place for you. We got a place for you because God's still working on you. You say, when can I minister to others? As soon as you realize that God's not through working in your life. There's still a work to be done in me, and that's why. I, but God, I give you what I am. I give you what I am. I give you what I got. I give you everything I got. All my heart, soul, mind, strength. My time is yours. My talent is yours. My treasure is yours. My future is yours. My dream is yours. I remember the day I hung up my career for this pulpit. As a licensed insurance agent for many years. Very successful in that field. My wife had a, a business. We had investments. All at once, one cruel swift, our world was turned upside down. Every plan we had was on hold. Church was burned to the ground. Twenty-six, twenty-seven years old. My wife's 26, I'm 27, two little babies. Everything in me wanted to leave this place, run away. My family was destroyed, my name was destroyed. This church history laid a pile of ruins. Everything in me wanted to just go over the next hill. They wanted to transfer me to Jackson, Tennessee, where you came from. But see, you can't run from the calling of God. God began to deal with me in the middle of the night. No one was here. I said, I called you to do this. I don't know how I'll tell my wife. I don't know how I'm going to tell her that our whole world's going to be interrupted. I don't know how I'm going to tell her that the life I promised her as an 18-year-old little girl is going to be put on hold for eternity. And I walked in after a prayer meeting with just me and God. I said, okay, God, I'll do it. So I went to talk to my wife. I expected her to be a heathen. So there ain't no way. Come on, let's load up. Let's get out of here. 
I'm going back to daddy's house. Back to the country where it's peaceful. All this craziness and drama. I walked in. I told her, I said, honey, we got to quit it all. We got to put God first. That's a short version of a long conversation. She looked at me and she said, I wondered when you were going to tell me. She said, why'd you wait so long? She said, I've known it for weeks. That's your pastor's wife. Everything we did, everything we were, put on the shelf, put on hold for the work of God. I didn't know you then, and I didn't know you then, and I didn't know you then. I didn't do it for you. Brother Sister Wickergreen, I didn't become the pastor of this church for you. I did it for him. I just did it for him. You came later, and I'm thankful you're here. You hold your pastor up every day in every service, and I'm thankful for that. But I didn't do it for you. I did it for the cross. I did it for the cross. I did it because a long time ago, he saved a preacher's kid from drugs. He got me off of drugs. He delivered me. And it's the least that I could do to use everything I have for him. Can we stand? I got my story and I'll preach it. But what's your lifestyle? What's your conversation? He said this, meditate on these things. Give thyself wholly to them that thy profiting may appear. I wish I could finish this. I wish you would let me say this before you check out. He said, don't tell me who you are. He said, give yourself 100% to this. And you will show people who you are. It shall appear. I love it when zeal has us to stand and to make a commitment in faith. Zeal says, I'm going to be there to church every day at 6 o'clock. And I'm going to open it up every morning with prayer. Zeal. But it's something entirely different to be faithful. When the zeal is gone and the weather's bad and the car breaks down and commitments you make in faith are put on the challenge, will you hold those in faith at that point? That's when sickness comes or sin comes or circumstances or personal failure comes. Will you keep living for God? Will you get up, dust yourself off and say, I'm not going to let it defeat me. Meditate on these things. Give thyself wholly to them that thy profiting may appear to all. Take heed, verse 16. Take heed unto thyself. Look into yourself. Look into the doctrine and continue in them. For in doing this, you're going to not only save yourself, but you're going to save others. Every head bowed, every eye closed. First things first. We'll connect Christ to our community in the weeks to come. But this Sunday, this Sunday, forget the wife, forget the husband, forget the kids, forget everything else. And right now, would you connect to the Lord Jesus Christ in a one-on-one -on -one relationship? Right now. That's it. The altar front's open. If you want to come and pray, come on. I give myself to you. If you want to pray where you're at, whatever. This is you and God. Oh, my life is not mine. 